Hey, my name is officially Morgan Putman, and uh, I'm glad to be able to bring the word to you this morning. Uh, I'm one of the leaders here at Vintage, and most of what I do is behind the scenes. I uh, do a lot of offering stuff and media stuff and just general meetings with the other leaders of the church to, to plan and to set things in motion and get things going. But today is my honor to be able to preach for you this morning. Uh, so we've been going, this summer we've been going through the Psalms. Uh, we started out with Stephen setting up the, the series for us. And uh, then we had Dr. Miller come in and preach about the, the Torah and the Psalms. And then Bryce showed us how to pray through the Psalms. And then Stephen taught us about lamenting and dealing with the lament that's written in the Psalms. And I get to come to you today and preach about faith and hope in difficult circumstances. So when we first started planning this series a few months back, uh, I immediately knew I had school for the summer. I had a summer class. I'm a college student. I'm graduating in December. So, so close yet, so far away. But when we planned this, I knew the whole month of June was out, and that's when I had a lot of the, the things I was interested in set up to be preached. And so, you know, you deal with it. You get what you get. And as I started studying this, I realized, I was like, wow, I would much rather have this. This is some incredible stuff, especially coming off of Stephen's sermon. The two go together so well on how Stephen taught us about lamenting, and I get to teach you the other side of that on dealing with uh, those difficult circumstances and how to have faith in those difficult circumstances. But in general, preaching is, is fun. It's fun when you get to give your pastor a break to allow him to sit in the pew and enjoy a sermon if it's good or critique you if it's bad. But preaching after Stephen is very often difficult because Bryce is a phenomenal pastor. And y'all see I'm a pretty hefty guy, so I think of things in terms of food. So Bryce is like an all-the-time all go-to good staple meal, like burgers or pizza. But then every so often, maybe once, maybe twice a year, you get a Stephen sermon, and it makes me think of Thanksgiving. You only get Thanksgiving once a year. You eat pizza and burgers, you hear Bryce preach all the time. But like I said, every so often, Stephen comes through with the yams, the mac and cheese, the stuffing, all the amazing things that you only get every so often. And so it's difficult to preach or to eat after Thanksgiving when you just had all this amazing food and all your leftovers are gone, and now you're back to a different type of food. So I'm going to bring y'all some chips. <laughs> but I want to take a second and go back and look over what we've done so far again. So Stephen introduced the series to us. Dr. Miller preached on the Torah and the Psalms, the uh, books of Moses and the Psalms. Bryce taught us praying through the Psalms. Stephen taught us lamenting in the Psalms. And that brings us to today, dealing with difficult circumstances and how to have faith in those troubles. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you know that you're going to have trials and tribulations. According to James, if you're, if you're a Christian, you're going to face trials, troubles, tribulations, and difficulties. No one is exempt from this. Not me, not you, not Adam and Eve, 
not Abraham, not Noah, not Jonah, David, not even Jesus, or even those after Jesus, the apostles, the Paul, Peter, John, we would be foolish to think that somehow we could be properly following Jesus and not deal with any number of trials, tribulations, or difficult circumstances. One pastor said, God brings trials and tribulations into our lives to make us into the people he wants us to be. Whether they are trials and troubles in which we suffer unjustly or the result of our own sin, God uses them to mold us into godliness. And so what I want us to see as we examine the text today is that we're all going to we're all going to face trials, troubles, tribulations, and difficult circumstances. Whether it be from the result of someone else's sin, of your sin, or no sinful party at all, it's just stuff happens and life throws you curveballs. But the question is, how do we deal with these trials, tribulations, and difficult circumstances? We examine Psalm 40, we can, we can all look and see how we are to deal with these troubling circumstances. So open your Bibles to Psalm 40. It'll also be on the screen. Psalm 40 verse 1 says this. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the merry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your, wonderful, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more that can be told. Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is written in my heart. It's written within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips. As you know, O Lord, I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils encompass me beyond my number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs on my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek, my li- who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back who brought dishonor, who desire my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who, can, who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. Let's pray. 
God, I want to thank you this morning for the difficult circumstances, the trials, the troubles, and tribulations that we often face that you use to make us into godly people. God, I pray that we will remember that you use those circumstances to make us into godly people and that we would seek to become godly people in the midst of those circumstances. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, quick, quick disclaimer before we get right into it. Some of y'all may have noticed my Bible is old and duct taped and ripped. It's because I've had this Bible since I was in high school. It was a gift to me from uh, one of my good friend's father. And it used to be a hardback Bible, if you can believe it. But one day I was walking and slipped and fell right out the hardback cover. And so I duct taped it. And then that duct tape cover fell off. And so now it just, as soon as I grab it, it starts at Genesis 1. And another thing, ignore sweat that you see dripping off my forehead, down to my beard and onto the floor or my Bible or anything. Uh, I don't know why, but God made me a sweater, and I sweat profusely when I do anything at all. If I were to walk outside right now, I would come back, look like I just played a full court game of basketball. But let's jump back into it. There are three aspects I want us to remember and practice in order to show that we have faith in difficult circumstances. Number one, remember God's previous work. Remember God's previous work. If we look at verse 1, we see David said, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from destruction or from the pit of destruction out of the merry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. So we see David, this is sub point A, David waited for the Lord. David waited for the Lord. In the Hebrew, when he says David waited for the Lord, it, it means waiting. I waited. That kind of, like it was confusing at first to me, but the more I studied, the more I read, and I saw that this is an active waiting. This is David crying out to God and saying, God, please save me. He's remembering what God had done in the past. And this, this phrase he uses it creates earnestness, constancy, and patience. And we know if we check in other scripture that, that David has echoed these similar, this similar phrasing that leads us to believe the type of waiting that he had for God was active. If you look at Psalm 27, verse 14, it says, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Now, we see in this psalm, he uses words like be strong, take courage, and wait for the Lord. These are all very active things, saying be strong, hold it down, take courage, don't be afraid, and wait for the Lord. Because we know what God has done in the past, and we remember the things that God has carried us through. And we look back on those times to bring us through into today. This kind of language brings back memories of, you know how kids used to talk big about their, their dads and their older brothers, like, look what my dad can do. Look what my dad can do. Look how big and strong my dad is. Look what he's doing. 
And it made me think back to when I was in daycare way, way long ago. My dad was bald-headed. I know it's hard for a lot of y'all to believe, but because my dad has, like, super long, crazy dreads now. But my dad used to be completely bald-headed, like, shaved every other day, no hair whatsoever. And this was back in, like, 96, 97, when Michael Jordan was still playing. And so a bunch of the kids in my preschool one day thought that my dad was Michael Jordan. And you best believe I took it and I ran with it. <laughs> so from that day until I left that preschool, my dad was Michael Jordan. I remember... I remember bragging about how cool and awesome my dad was. Like, yeah, my dad is Michael Jordan. My dad, he played for the Chicago Bulls. My dad's so amazing. Championships, points, all that. All I can see thinking back is, look at my dad. Look at the amazing things he's doing. Look at my dad bragging to all my little preschool friends. Look at my dad. That's my dad. As he would pick me up, me and my little brother would be right up at the window, right at the door. Say, look, it's my dad. Look. It's my dad. We actively waited for our dad to come pick us up. And we see David doing the same thing, actively waiting for deliverance from the father that loves him so much, saying, look, it's my dad. Look, it's my dad. Crying out to all his friends, look, it's my dad. Crying out to God himself, look, you're my dad. So we see this confidence that I had in my father and that David had in God and that we should have in God our Father to say, look, it's my dad. Even if you don't have a right relationship with your father, even if you don't know your father at all, you can lean on God when you're, on, when you're in difficult circumstances and say, look, it's my dad. That's my daddy. That's my pops right there. Look at what he's doing. You show confidence in the ability that God, that God has not from anything that you do or that you've done, because, I mean, David is in a situation where he can't do anything. You look all throughout the Psalms, David is being chased by people. If you look at later in this Psalm, we're going to look and see that David is being chased by people. But in those difficult times, David is remembering the work that he's done and that God has done and saying, look, it's my dad. Now, this confident waiting David displayed was met with an active and attentive listening from God. So we see the Lord inclined and heard him. We see the Lord inclined and heard him. So we see David being active in his crying out for God, and we see God, our Father, being active in his listening to David and to us. And so we see God was interested in David's cry, and he was attentive to it. We see this throughout other Psalms, too, where Psalm 39, 12 will be on the screen. It says, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace from my tears, for I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. So we see God actively taking part in the lives of his children. We see God actively listening to the cries of his children. We see God actively waiting on the cries of his children. You might think, why would David be so confident in God's willingness to listen to him and his ability to be able to hear him? I mean, if you think, or if you look at verse 2, we see that God has intervened on his behalf before. Look at verse 2. It says, he drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the merry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. 
Now, what is this pit of destruction that's laid out in, in verse 2? Some scholars say it's David's sinfulness. It's a pit of his own destruction. It's a pit of his own sinfulness. You think to look later in Psalm 40, verse 12, he says he's, he's covered in his sin. He's engrossed in his sin. If we think about the sins of David, two of the big things that immediately pop out are David and Bathsheba, uh, him and Bathsheba, and, uh, and Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. If you go to, you can look at 2 Samuel 11, you see in detail the things that David did, the wicked acts that David committed that might be the pit of destruction that is his own sinfulness. Some, others, some other scholars say it was the adversity he was facing from Saul. And we know Saul was the king at the time before David, and basically he knew that David was anointed, that David was he was a chosen one, or not, the chosen one is in like the chosen king that is going to be replacing Saul. And Saul actively tried to make that not happen. He sent him out to the front lines of the Philistines. He had his people trying to kill him. Many of the songs that David wrote were from, were from hiding in times when Saul's people were actor, actively after him. Some say it might have been family difficulties, and some say it was emotional distress uh, because in 2 Samuel 18, David had just lost his son. And some might say it's a literal pit, but regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the situation that was causing David so much agony and so much turmoil in the past, God saved him. He saved him then. And he's reflecting back on that because he's confident. And you'll see later when he prays that God will save him in the future. But we see God save him because he placed him on a solid rock. And this imagery is amazing. I mean, what better picture to paint from a a song than solid rock, the rock of Christ Jesus? We just sang it in the song. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus in Jesus Christ, my righteousness, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. So we see that through these difficult times, in the past, in the present, and in the future, that God has, can, and will place you on a solid rock and make your feet secure. And so we saw how David remembered God's past works. And now let's examine how David praises God's previous works, which is number two on the screen. David praises God's previous works. And it's amazing because off rip, we see that the praise that, that David has for God came from God himself. Because David, or God gave David a new song. Excuse me, look at verse 3. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise. Many will see in fear and put their trust in the Lord. So even our praise comes from God. We cry out to God. We remember God delivered us. We remember the things God has done in the past. And then we praise God with the things that God has done for us so that even our praise comes from him. 
Now, if we look at verses 4 through 10, we can see a breakdown of how the, the song went that David was singing. Look at verse 4. It says, Blessed is a man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. So we see, these aren't on the screen, but you can jot them if you want to. Uh, at the breakdown of the song, we see it's a song of repentance. Off rip, he starts with repentance. Blessed is a man who makes the Lord his trust. One who makes the Lord his trust is one who repented and turned to him. Verse 5, it says, You have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, if they are more than can be told. So we see in verse 5, it's a song of praise. God has, has multiplied the incredible works that he's done in David's life, and David is praising him for that. So you got a song of repentance, a song of praise, and then also in verse 5, we see it's a song of proclamation. David is proclaiming some of the incredible things that God has done in his life. So think about some of the things that have happened in David's life. God saves him multiple times. God is basically calling him the chosen one. He's going to be the king. He's going to be uh, directly in the lineage of, of Jesus. God has forgiven him on multiple occasions. And God has preserved his life on multiple occasions. And when we move down, we look at verse 6. It says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. So we see this is a song of prophecy. And similar language, I say that because we find similar language in some of the books of prophecy. One example being Hosea 6.6. 6 says, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And we also see Jesus quoted these same words in Matthew, 19, uh, Matthew 9, verse 13, where he said, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So we see that God is planning the, the new covenant, and he's no longer requiring those sacrifices because of the work Jesus did. But we see God requires obedience to his word. And David knew this already because, it was, because Samuel said in 1 Samuel verse 15, 22, or chapter 15, verse 22, it says, And Samuel said, has the, Lord, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offering and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen to, and to listen than the fat of rams. It's just a, a side note because in sixth grade, I had an English teacher. Her name was Miss Heath. And in sixth grade, I went to Kirby Middle School. And if y'all know, it's over in like Memphis and Hickory Hill. And these kids are wild and crazy. And so every time someone would get in trouble or act out of line, she would look at them and say, 250, 250. And she had a phrase written on a board that said, obedience is better than a sacrifice. And when she looked at you and yelled 250, it means you had to write 250 times, obedience is better than sacrifice. And I remember that because it only happened to me once. Because writing 250 
Uh, when she yelled at me, 250, my heart sank because it was in the middle of the year and I already knew what happened. I've even seen at this point kids get 500s where they had to write obedience is better than sacrifice 500 times. And so like hearing this phrase again just takes me back to I was like 12 years old trying to write obedience is better than sacrifice. And then I got halfway through and I was like, man, this is taking forever. And so I would write obedience, 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 is, 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 is better and so on and so forth. But I knew one time that I wasn't sacrificing anything else. I was just going to obey her and listen to her that first time. And when, when she said that at the time, I wasn't a Christian. And so I had no idea that that came from this passage. And so it's kind of cool to see full circle that obedience is better than sacrifice. And I know it wasn't on some large grand scale where I, where I sacrificed a bull or sacrificed my life or anything. But I sacrifice the the little muscles and bones in my hand for writing for an hour. Obedience is better than sacrifice. But back to the text. Look at verse eight. It says, "I desire to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is written within my heart." So we see it's a song of joyful obedience. A song of joyful obedience. So basically, when we commit to following God, we commit to delight in his word. We commit to delight in his will. We commit to delight in his thoughts. Psalm 119, verse 16 says this, I will delight in your statutes. I will forget not your word. Psalm 119, verse 24 says, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Psalm 119, verse 35 says, lead me in the path of your commandments, for I will delight in it. Psalm 119, verse 92 says, If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. So you see the importance of delighting in the law of the Lord. Because as I just said, Psalm 119, verse 92, If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. If David did not delight in the law of the Lord, he would have perished in his own affliction. If you want the light and the law of the Lord, then you will perish in your own affliction. Now, side note, I don't think I really have time to, to get all the way into it, but the law being written on the heart of God's people is an Old Testament thing. It's, you can see it in the book of prophecy and some of the books of prophecies like Jeremiah verse 31, or chapter 31, verses 33 and 34. But that's talking about the Holy Spirit and the new covenant. But we can also take that to mean meditate on the law of the Lord and it will be embedded into your hearts. Because even though you have the Holy Spirit in you, you still need to meditate on the law of the Lord to keep yourself grounded. Because the Holy Spirit will lead you, but it will also lead you in the Word. It will lead you in in remit. Like, sometimes it'll help you remember things that you wouldn't normally remember. It'll help you to take the text and to read and understand. But it was just a quick, quick side thing. But point, uh, a sub-point B says, David loudly sang God's song. This is one of my favorite parts because if y'all know me, y'all know I love to sing 
and I love to sing very loudly. Let me give you some examples of why me loving to sing so loudly is so biblical, and y'all can no longer tell me to stop singing all the time. Psalm 96, 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Psalm 98, verses 4 to 6. Make a joyful noise. Make a joyful noise. I make joyful noises when I sing. Just kidding. But make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in a joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with lyre. With lyre in the sound of melody. With trumpets in the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. And Psalm 149, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise is the assemblance, is the assembly of the godly. Sing, sing loudly, sing well. Even if you can't sing well, you can still sing loudly. Because if you get out enough of y'all singing, it'll kind of, you know, balance out. That's why I enjoy singing so loudly in large groups, because I don't hear myself. I know I can't sing, but when you get in a large enough group, somebody else is good or somebody else is bad, is on the opposite end of my bad, and so we sound decent together when you hear our voices picking up with one another. But we see David saying, loudly saying, of the deliverance of the great congregation without restraint. Now, this shows that the gospel brings people together to share their stories. In Psalm 22, verse 22, it says, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. Sing together. When you're around one another, sing together. Share your stories with one another. Sing together loudly the praises of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Use your stories of, of God's goodness in your life to lift up and edify other believers. That was the whole reason why you have a story. So glorify God. Use your stories to lift up and edify other believers, even if they're bad stories. For example, Stephen. Stephen lost his mom a year ago or two years ago. And it was a, a hard and detrimental thing in the life of Stephen and those who care about him, including our church. But out of that, some of, or out of some of that came Centerpiece, which is a fascinating album that I myself had on repeat the other day when I was prepping my sermon. I was like, man, this is really good. Like, I listened to it before, but, like, when you're reading the Psalms and you know that some of the motivation comes from the Psalms, it makes the Psalms and the songs you're listening to come alive so much more because you can actually listen to different melodies, not play with horns and trumpets, but with guitars and little pianos and some drums, but you, you get the full picture of, of the, the fact that the Psalms are a book of songs, and that they're meant to be sang. And so, when I had my headphones on, I was at the house alone, I had them blasting, and I was singing loud, very joyful noises and praises to God, our Father. But look at verse 10. It says, I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. 
So in verse 10, we see David go into detail about some of the things that he's singing about God. He's singing of his faithfulness to the congregation. He's singing of his salvation to the congregation. He's singing of the steadfast love to the congregation. And he's singing, again, of the faithfulness to the congregation. One of the things we can see is that the work and word of God were on David's heart. And so they overflowed and came out of his lips. When, we, when our hearts are filled with the word of God, our mouths speak the words of God. So when we spend time meditating on the, on the word day and night, we can't help but be changed by that. It gets, it gets deep in your heart and into your soul, and it overflows out of your mouth. So it's important that, to keep in mind that when we're walking with God, it'll lead you through difficult, it'll lead you to difficult times and circumstances. But when you meditate on the word and you have the word within your heart, it'll lead you through those difficult circumstances. So now we've seen how uh, David remembered God's past work. We've seen how God pray, or David praised God's past works. Now let's look at how he prays for God's future works. We see David prays for God's future works. Now let's examine how he's praying for God's future works. Let's look at the structure of his prayer and how he's praying. Look at verse 11. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy for me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. So it brings point A. David acknowledges God. David, excuse me, acknowledges God. So we see David starts the prayer off with a proclamation of God's character based on his own experiences from God's previous goodness in his life. We see David knows and is confronted or comforted by the faithfulness and steadfast love of God and knows that it will keep him. So we see he acknowledges God uh, B. We see that he confesses his sin. Look at verse 12. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. Excuse me. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. David is overcome with his own sinfulness. Similar to the type of pit that he was talking about in verse 2, David is in a, a pit of his own sinfulness. So we must... One thing we can take from this is that we have to know our own sinfulness and confess it before the Lord. Because David confessed his sinfulness before the Lord within his prayer. I'm not saying every time you pray you acknowledge God and then confess any sins that you know of, but be knowledgeable of your sin. Confess them before the Lord and do not let them hinder your your future growth or your your. I don't know the word I'm looking for, but don't let them hinder your faith in God and have you thinking that because I did this, I can't serve God. Because I, I don't know, I, I harmed somebody, I can't serve God. David is described as a man after God's own heart. But if you look at David's heart alone, David's heart led him to some serious wickedness and some serious sinfulness. Like I mentioned earlier, when he killed uh, or had Uriah killed, or when he slept with Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. He did these 
wicked and sinful things and is still considered a man after God's own heart. Because he repented of those things, he confessed them before the Lord, repented of those things, and then moved on into God's future plan. But uh, W.S. Plummer said, whoever has a just view of his sins commonly sees that his offenses are countless. So you have to know your position before the Lord and know the position that Jesus removed you from and put you into. So if you were to just sit there and wallow in your sin and say, oh, I'm so wicked, I did this, I did that, blah, blah, blah. But you never move on to the grace of God and the justification of Jesus, then you're stuck in the wrong place. Acknowledge your sin, confess your sin, but then know that God has forgiven you of those sins through the the work of Jesus. But let's look at verse 13. Verse 13 and 16, they say this, Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame who are... let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch my life away, or snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who desire my hurt. Let those be appalled because of, their, because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. So see, we see that David petitions. David petitions. You see, David petitioned for himself. He's asking God to judge those who and judge and to deal with those who are in pursuit of him, who are after his life, who are trying to kill him because he can't do it himself. He can't handle that himself. He can't carry out those types of things himself. But we also see him petition for others. We see him petition for others. Look at verse 16. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. David is praying for those who know God and will continually praise, that they will continually praise God and be glad in him. Even in the worst of circumstances, the worst of circumstances, David's life is in jeopardy right here. David has men after him. He's done all these wicked things and evil things. He's been delivered from those things. And he's asking God to to help him get through these current circumstances. But even in all of that, we see David praying for the people of the Lord to glorify the Lord. So even in your worst circumstances, even when you think that I can't do this anymore, it's still important for God to get his glory. That's one of the reasons why often when I pray, and when I pray in large groups or pray for circumstances, I pray that God will will enact his will, that God will get glory, and that we will deal with it. Because regardless of our circumstances, God will get glory. God can get glory. And it should be at the forefront of our mind for God to be glorified, even if it goes against our favor. Even if I graduate college and don't get the job I want, I still want God to be glorified. Or even if I graduate and get the job that I dreamed of and I'm instant millionaire or blah, 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 still want God to be glorified. Even with David's life on the line, he's seeking for God to be glorified, not only through himself, but also through others. And then we'll end 
In point D, we see in verse 17 that he acknowledges God again. Look at verse 17. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. Oh, wait, no, this is the wrong one. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh God. David again acknowledges the character of God as he close out, closes out his prayer. He declares his own helplessness, but says, but the Lord takes thought for me. Displaying his confidence in God's ability to save him and to glorify God himself. In these difficult circumstances, we know we're helpless. But we know that God can save us and can glorify himself in us. And I want to close with a quote from George Robertson. It says this, Believers should read this psalm first with the effort to make it their own prayer. Then we should read it again with the comfort that because Christ prayed it perfectly, he can enable his disciples where our faith is weak. When we are weak, God is strong. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. Oh, give ear to my grief and my groaning. Your abundant and steadfast love welcomes my soul to bow down. In the day of my troubles, grace abounds. Lead me, Lord, in your righteousness. Because of my enemies, make the crooked road before me straight. Be not far from me, O oh God. Be not silent to my complaint. I have traveled, I traveled a wild and weary land. Accusers and liars, they lie in wait for me. Why do wicked and hateful men prosper and rule over me? How long will my oppressors boast and feast? Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let your people forever sing joy. Cover us with your favor, Lord. Like a strong and shining shield, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. Your spirit preserves me through terror, though terror looms. Your abundant and steadfast love keeps me when chaos surrounds. In the day of my trouble, grace abounds. Amen.